Well, good morning. It's good to have you all here. I know it's humid. The air condition's on, but only one of them's working. So calm down. No one move around. No dancing. We're going to conserve our energy and our heat, and I'll try and be be quick and, and precise. And Okay, here we go. Uh, we're continuing our series in Genesis, and we left off with the whole story of Joseph coming to a place of prominence in Egypt, his brothers came not recognizing him because now he looks like an Egyptian. They thought he had been sold into slavery. They never expected to see him again, and he's kind of playing a trick on them. And we we saw that he was trying to find out if they had changed These brothers who took him and threw him in a pit and lied and deceived his father, their father, that he was dead and left him for dead, basically, as he went off with this caravan as a slave, he now recognizes them and he's playing this game. He he accuses them of stealing. He sets them up. He wants them to go bring his younger brother because he knows he has a younger brother and they're tripping out. He's fooling them saying, yeah, I have the ability to see and, you know, have divination. And so I know what's going on and they're just totally freaking out. And so they've gone back and they've come here and he's held them. And then last chapter was a very emotional pull as Judah, the oldest one, the one who was responsible for him being thrown into the pit and him being sold into slavery when he's pressed that he's going to keep Benjamin, the young brother. Judah steps up and he says, no, take me instead. I cannot bear to break my father's heart. I won't do it. And that's too much for him. And so he's had a few moments where he's kind of broke down and started crying. And this is where we pick up in chapter 45. And we're going to read through the chapter and then go over some things. And so Genesis chapter 45, starting at verse 1, says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept loudly, so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no more plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then... It was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. 
Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor according, accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly." Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers... Do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this, take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them, he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothing. There it is, the favoritism. And this is what he sent to his father. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Don't quarrel on the way. (laughs) He knows them. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything, Joseph said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph sent to carry back, carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I am convinced. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this emotional story. Father, may we not lose the emotion in this dialogue. In in our conversation this morning with you, may we engage in not only the information that is here, but may we engage in in the emotion. And Father, we ask that you would have your way in our thoughts. May we give you our attention and allow this time to be rich with your presence. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. As this story begins, it's leaving us right off of that cliffhanger where Joseph 
finally is going to reveal himself. And after just putting the squeeze on his brothers to find out what's really going on inside, finally he can't handle it anymore. When Judah tells him, I'll give my own life, he sees there's been a change. He's not the brother who who sold me as a slave years ago. There is change. And we talked about how there can be change that takes place. And, And as it goes on, we see that Joseph, before each time he was ready to break down, he turns away, but now he doesn't turn away. And as he talks to them, he's now talking to them in their tongue. Remember before it was through an interpreter. And so imagine what is going on through their minds as he declares, I am Joseph. They're just, are you happy? Are you sad? Are you going to kill us? What are you going to do? It is beyond their ability to understand. And so he's telling them, they're his name. He's telling them that he's Joseph. It, it would be to them like seeing a ghost. And after this string of calamities that they've gone through, this is probably in their minds the worst. We've been, you know, set up to be accused of being thieves. We've been, you know, had to go and bring our brother and we've been here in just prison for three days and now he's telling us he's Joseph. It's over. They were so speechless. They were silenced by the terror that was there in their minds going on through this whole event. And as he says, I am Joseph, the first thing he asks is, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer because they were so afraid in his presence. And as he's engaging them, he has to tell them, come close. And he's telling them to come close, not just physically. He needs to bring them back into a relationship with him. And he has to engage them because they're not in a position to do anything. They are terrified. They're holding themselves back. And as he tells them to come close, it is to draw them near. He has to address them and what's going on because that is foremost on their mind. He says, come close to me. And when they had come, he says, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Just in case you had another brother Joseph, I want you to know I'm this one, okay? I'm the one you sold into Egypt. He's letting them know. And what's interesting here is this brief statement about selling him into Egypt is the only hint of an accusation that Joseph makes. And then immediately he disarms this with words of consolation. He says, I'm the one you sold into Egypt. He doesn't go on. He doesn't elaborate. Do you remember that day? Do you remember how I cried out to you? Do you remember how you had no pity on me? Do you remember? Do you remember? He doesn't go into that. I don't know what I would do, but I have a feeling I wouldn't leave it there. Just because I know myself being in... Egypt as a slave for years. I I think I would have more to say on the matter, but he doesn't. And instead he goes on and he brings them into 
and to console them. And he says, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And then he goes on in these verses to let them know that God has done something. He has let them know that what they did wasn't the last word. In fact, in verses 6 through 11, we see the key thing is these units that emerge and just repeat themselves. Three times he says, God sent me. Three times he says, it's to preserve my life or to keep you alive. And three times it it was not you who sent me here, but God. And so this reoccurring theme takes place to make a point. It's not you, it, it was God. It wasn't you, it was God. Two times he says, God made me the father or the Lord over Egypt. And so he's fully conscious of the fact that his high position is held because of what God did. And it wasn't his own achievement. And immediately... This needs to prompt some questions, but, but the first thing it prompts in my mind is the idea of forgiveness and how Joseph moves through this area of forgiveness. Because Joseph has forgiven his brothers without having to say it. He doesn't really say, and I forgive you. You know, sometimes when we say things like that, I just want you to know that I forgive you. Sometimes it actually brings more shame into the event that we're trying to reconcile. Sometimes we we want to bring about reconciliation, but we don't want to really let go or we want them to acknowledge the hurt. And so we say, well, I forgive you because you really hurt me and you really hurt me when you said this or you really hurt me when you did this and I forgive you, but I just having a hard time letting it go and so I'll keep kind of saying it but I forgive you and so there's forgiveness but it seems like there it's hovering over you waiting to fall waiting to crush you and Joseph doesn't do that he doesn't say I forgive you he just moves in to forgiveness and he shows them forgiveness by being generous to them when they didn't deserve generosity he was giving it to them they didn't deserve his affection but he gave it to them and that's what forgiveness should look like that's the shape it it needs to take in our lives and and through our lives to others but sometimes we have a hard time letting it go Sometimes we we want to make sure they know how much they hurt us. We want to let them know that, yeah, I'm forgiving you, but it still hurts and I just want you to know it. And if you hurt a little bit, it would kind of help me to maybe forgive you a little bit more because that's just how we work sometimes. And so if I see you squirming, okay, I feel a little better now. But we don't see that with Joseph. He doesn't even ask for the forgiveness. He just moves in to restoration. And then Joseph redefines what they did to him and how 
he now makes their physical needs, this famine that's in the land, his priority. Where others may have seen only jealousy or cruelty, Joseph saw the hand of God. And we need to stop here and talk about this because when it says, you know, you didn't send me here, it was the hand of God, my memory thinks back a few chapters and says, no, it was them. And so what was it? Did his brothers send him or did God send him? Did God make his brothers cruel, deceitful, and lie to their father? Or is that something they did? And so what does he mean when he says, God sent me here? We have a hard time reconciling these things, but it's really not a problem in the Hebrew mindset. Being aware of free will and what free will looks like is important. And and sometimes we misunderstand the idea of free will. You know, if, if you see a person who's homeless and you, you, go, you have money to spare, and so you see this homeless person and you think, I'm going to give them a million dollars. And you think, well, okay, I'm going to give them a million dollars. Think of what they can do with a million dollars. They can go get a, a place to stay, a place to live, get some clean clothes. They can, uh, you know buy a car, transportation, their their whole life will be changed if I give them a million dollars. But if you take that million dollars and you hide it at the bottom of a bag that they're carrying so that they don't know that they have it, they are wealthy, but they don't know it. They have the ability to change their life, but they're unaware of it. And you see, free will without the awareness of it leaves you Absent of power. What good's the million dollars if you don't know it's there? What good is having a freedom to choose your life but not being aware that it's your choice? And so knowing that you have free will is so important. It's something that we need to recognize and this is very important in the the Hebrew mindset The Talmud, one of their writings about the 5th century, and some of the writings are even earlier, says, greater than the gift of free will is that God told us we have free will. And so it's not just that you have it, it's that God told you you have it. He said, there's money at the bottom of the bag. You have the ability to change your future. With the decisions you make, you now are wealthy with the opportunity to create the life that you desire. Having the knowledge of free will is as important as having free will. And it's important, again, that we recognize what this is. You see, free will isn't going to 31 flavors and being able to choose chocolate over strawberry. That's preference. I prefer chocolate over strawberry. You see, a cow might prefer the grass over the hay. That's not a sign of free will. Free will is uniquely 
a characteristic that we have because we are created in God's image. Free will is not just preference. It's the exercising of a decision that is uniquely human and is a moral choice. Now, what kind of moral choice? Because it's not just to choose between good or bad. Because think about it, every one of us, when we make a choice, we make what we think is a good choice. It may be a bad choice. You may find out, I shouldn't have taken my paycheck and bought lottery tickets with it. But at the time, it seemed like a good choice. Joseph's brothers, Judah thought, it'll be good to get rid of Joseph. Let's throw him in a pit and sell him into slavery. To him, it seemed like a good idea. And there's a lot of terrible things that are done that people thought were good ideas. The idea of a free will and the moral choice is not between good and bad. It's between life and death. It's choosing life. What does that mean, choosing life? It means choosing to engage in life. So something happens to you. Your wife leaves you. And you're left now with the hurt of her betrayal. And so to deal with this, you make a choice, I'm going to check out. And so you you check into just drug abuse and substance abuse and you sit in front of the TV all day or you lay down and you sleep all the time and you let depression start taking you, you are choosing not to live. You are giving up the life that is available to you. And when God tells us to choose life, he's telling us to be the participating members in the life that's there for you. You lose your job. Someone treats you terribly. They they fire you without cause and you're devastated and now you're left in a position where what am I going to do to make a living? Am I going to lose my home and and my car and what's going to happen with my family? And you check out and so you just become numb and all you do is play Clash of Clans all day and, and you know, you, you don't talk to your wife and you don't talk to your kids and you don't go out and try and get another job. You just stay in front of the TV set or, or you do something else, you eat. And again, what you're doing is choosing not to live. And it's death. And what we see taking place with Joseph is he didn't let what his brothers did defined how he lived. His brothers mistreated him horribly. I would wager to say worse than any of our siblings have treated us. Beaten us and sold us as slaves. Anyone here top that? Okay, just wanted to make sure. I mean, I don't want to assume. But rough. But Joseph's life and future wasn't defined by what they did. It was defined by what God was doing so that he continued living 
And God, who is life, started directing his future. And so in the Hebrew mind, when it says, well, you know, who who's responsible for Joseph being there in Egypt? Is it his brothers or is it God? They'd say, well, it's both. His brothers are responsible for what they did and God is responsible for what he does. But more than that, Joseph was responsible for what he chose. He chose life. He chose to live. And the lesson that is here in this passage is so powerful. If we could bottle it, if we could sell it, if we could get people to understand it, it would change every one of us. And you've seen it. You've seen the people who go through something that's devastating and they just get the wind knocked out of them and the wind is out of their sails and they're just a mess and they just cannot get back on their feet and, and maybe that's you. Maybe you're in that position. I've been there. And you just spin out in circles and you just wallow in this pity uh, and this shame and this hurt and what you've done and you're just stuck. And all you can see is the problem, the problem, the problem and it overwhelms you and you check out and you don't pursue life, you don't pursue God, you give up. And then there's the other people, life hits them just as hard, just as devastating. And instead of them being crippled by the event, they end up being advocates to help people who have been hurt just like them. They end up changing the lives of the people around them because they know what happened to them is happening to other people and they're going to show people how they can get out of the pit. And what's amazing is that Joseph's immediate concern His immediate question was, is my father still alive? Hey, I'm going to help you. I'm here to help you. His focus was on doing good for others. And it's what produced life in him. Think of Jesus' words. If a man seeks his life, he will lose it. But if a man loses his life for my sake, he will find it. In a very similar way, Joseph's life was about giving to others. We found that he found his own life as well. And so now we're we're challenged. His brothers are dumbfounded. And they don't know what to say. And finally, they go to a place where they actually speak to him. And in verse... 15, it says, he kissed all his brothers, wept over them, and afterwards his brothers talked to him. He confirmed his affection for them with actions. He didn't just say, hey, I love you guys, I forgive you guys. He actually went to them. Now imagine this powerful person embracing them as their brother. This person who is over all the land of Egypt that is holding all the wealth, this person of great power, and now is embracing them as a brother. And what a a beautiful picture we have of Jesus and what he wants to do with us, to embrace us. 
And it took all of this for them to finally be able to talk to him. Back in chapter 37, verse 4, it said, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Wasn't long ago, they didn't even want to talk to him. And now for the first time, they actually talked to him. What changed? They changed. How did they change? Because Joseph changed. Because Joseph pursued them and now engaged them and they responded to that love. And as we see, it continues on. We see that he goes back to his father and they go back to the father and they talk to him. And as they tell him, you know, Joseph's now alive. And as they tell Jacob this, he's stunned. Joseph is still alive. The the first thing they tell Jacob is your son's alive. The first question Joseph asked, is my father alive? And, and we see that not only did Jacob love Joseph, but Joseph loved his father. And he didn't forget him. And his father never forgot him. And, and it says that he was stunned. And then it says in verse 27 that he was revived. It's as if he came back to life. He heard about him and Joseph announced that his purpose was now to preserve life and we see his own father's life being restored. Because of who he was, he was able to bring even this joy to his father and he says, I'm convinced now. Why was he convinced? Because he saw the wealth that had come back to them. The money that was hidden is now exposed. Look at what has happened. How did this happen? Because a man who was put in a terrible situation saw that he was not stuck, saw that he was not paralyzed and made choices to live made the willful choice, I am going to live. And when he made that choice, God engaged him in that. You need to understand that God will engage you and God will ask you to come and to to sup with him. He will knock on the door, but he will not kick the door open. He will not force you to come along. He will not force your life to change. And so many times we wonder, God, why aren't you doing anything in my life? And God says, I would do something if you would do anything. And I can't do anything because you won't even do something. And if you will not choose life, then you are making a choice. And the challenge is for us this morning. Are you stuck? Is your life paralyzed by your circumstances? You need to understand there's a million dollars at the bottom of the bag. And it's called your free will. And you have the choice to choose life and to choose a better life than what you're stuck in. And it's what makes you human. You were created in God's Image. What does that mean? It means you have the ability to create your future. 
when we go through the artisan's soul. Erwin talks about this. He, he says, bees create hives and ants create hills, but humans create futures. Why? Because we are created in His image. Wherever you're at, you have the ability to change. Now, maybe you are stuck because of a a physical ailment. Maybe you're stuck because of an addiction or because of a a mental uh, struggle that you have or some kind of disability. You still have the ability to pursue help. See, I know a number of people who have struggles and who have conditions in dealing with depression, who have issues with being bipolar or depressed in other areas, but they still are able to make choice to see a doctor and get help. Or marriages that are struggling and they're fighting, but they still have the ability to make a decision to want to get better and go and seek counseling. And so it's not like all of a sudden, pam, everything's going to change and it's, oh, happy day, even though we sang that song. It is a happy day. But the happy day comes with engaging and leaning into the life, reaching to the bottom of the bag and finding that money, finding what has been given to us, that gift of the ability to choose, and then making a choice, as difficult as it is. Maybe it's making a phone call. Maybe it's asking for help. Maybe it's seeking counseling. Maybe it's going to the doctor. Maybe it's humbling yourself. Maybe it's apologizing, asking for forgiveness. Maybe it's forgiving but you've got a treasure in your possession, but it's no good if you don't know it's yours. And the difference in Joseph's life was his choice to live. And so now he could stand and he says, oh, you meant it for this, but God meant it. How could God mean it for good and they mean it for evil? Well, because I am living. And that's what God has asked me to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 and 20, the Lord says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. And that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Choose life, for the Lord is your life. Why didn't Joseph succumb to complete depression? Because the Lord was his life. How could he say this? Because he is where he is because he chose life. He chose the Lord and the Lord brought him to where he's at. What would have happened if he gave up in that prison cell? Never would have been 
Therefore, his brothers never would have been in the position that he's in. It was his decision to live. And not just exist, but to live. To know that even though I'm here, there is more for me. And I'm going to make the choice. Because that is the gift that every one of us has been given by God. Let's pray. Father, I know it sounds so easy to say, choose life. And some of us have so many obstacles that we have put up or that have been put up by others that are in our way. There are so many things that trouble us, hinder us, want to hold us back. And even though choosing is a, a, begins with our will, there has to be, after that, perseverance to see it through. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to, to see the treasure that is there at the bottom of the bag, to, to recognize the wealth that you have given to us because we are created in your image, what is our inheritance because we are your creation. And we would take hold of that truth and persevere to make sure that we live. That we would make the choices that bring us life. As difficult as they are, as slow as it seems, Joseph was in prison for years before he even got to this position. God, may we persevere for years if necessary, but may we never stop making that choice. Because with you in that life are the blessings. And it might not be a million dollars and it might not be wealth, but it will be life. And so for those who are finding themselves captive, dead, checking out, giving up, without energy. Lord, we pray that you would revive us, that we would recognize the gift that you've given us, and that we'd recognize that it's not just that we have free will, it's that you are letting us know we do. May we not squander that wealth And may we, like Joseph, use that ability to choose to benefit others, to save those who are in need around us. Because in doing that, we find strength for ourselves. We're going to continue worshiping. And I want this time of worship to be a time of healing. I know some of us are living in that prison.
like Joseph was, and we have not gotten out of it. And I pray that this morning will be the first step towards life. I pray that we would recognize the things that are holding us down and make the steps necessary to get out of this prison. That we would long for life and no longer be dead. And so as we worship, however you can engage in the Lord with this time, I want you to. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to get on your knees, you can get on your knees. This is our time before our God to pour out our hearts so that he can bring his change and his life in us. Let's worship.